So you probably know we're doing a series on communion and it's been going for two months and I think it's a short series, five or six and then so after this, after this message we will have communion and then we're going to have baptisms and we're going to have lunch and lots of things. But so, this, so when John started the series in December he was looking at 1 Corinthians 11 when Paul is talking he said the Lord Jesus the night he was betrayed took bread and when he given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me and I'm doing that specially so you remember that and then Ben talked last month about the Passover and the Exodus when the time when the Israelites were became a large nation but they were living in Egypt and the Egypt didn't really want them to be a large nation and were threatened and made them slaves and uh, then so the Lord was calling the Israelites out of Egypt and the Pharaoh who was the king of Egypt kept on saying no and despite nine plagues he said no and then the Lord promised that this time they would say yes and there was a very serious plague when the Lord said that he would uh, that it would all happen at night can you hear me? I just felt it suddenly started to speak then um, the Lord, at midnight the Lord said I would go throughout Egypt and every firstborn son would die from Pharaoh's son to the son of the, the slave well the son of the slave girl sitting at her handmill, and the firstborn of all the cattle as well and there would be loud wailing it was going to be a very tragic time but each, uh, then they were warned, the Israelites were warned to protect themselves. They would take a lamb, it had to be a lamb without defect. They would take some of the blood of the lamb and put it on the door frames of their houses. And when, when the Lord sees, saw the blood, he would pass over the house. And that's why we get the name Passover. And he also, but this is even, think of this as before it ever happened, the Lord said, I want you to remember this and have a festival every year, to have the Passover festival. This is, this is how powerful our God is, that he told the Israelites to do this before it had ever happened, even the first time. And it was very effective, and during the night there was loud wailing, and the Israelites were summoned, Moses and Aaron were summoned and told, Get out! So there was no messing about. I said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites, go, take your flocks and herds, and go! So they went in the middle of the night. So we'll just remember that as we're going on so then we want to think about John's gospel which is where we are today so John was one of the twelve disciples we know he was one of the sort of an inner group of three Peter, James and John who did, did various uh, missions with Jesus just the four of them uh, such as the transfiguration when Jesus was glorified in front of them and John wrote this gospel much later than the other gospels his, many of his colleague disciples had sadly been executed but uh, John had read Mark's gospel and Matthew's and, and Luke's as well and he felt I mean, people feel that he saw the need for a spiritual kind of a different kind of gospel One would, and he, so he wrote a gospel giving seven signs and his main concern was that people would believe the, one of the verses says these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. And a lot of people feel that John's Gospel was full of teaching um, and it's full of long conversations like we're going to see today in fact. And people often say, well perhaps it's not very reliable historically, it doesn't seem like the other Gospels. 
But people have looked at this. There's a book, if you want to read a book, by two Americans called Geisler and Turek. And um, it's got an amusing title. You probably remember it's called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. So it's a good title. And it's got a good section on how, why we should believe you know, these things. And people have looked at this. They looked at 59 aspects of John's Gospel and you know, so the John's, the John's Gospel has passed all these tests. So if it passes all the tests that you can, that you can test, I mean, and you can, why, why not believe the, the things you can't test, like whether Jesus walked on the water, things like that. So the background of this passage then is that Jesus had just fed at least 5,000 people, or 5,000 men, probably lots of women and children as well. Um, and then Jesus knew in his heart that the people were going to make him king and that, that, wasn't the, that wasn't the way of the cross. So he withdrew to a mountain by himself and then the disciples went across the Lake of Galilee by boat to a place called Capernaum and then Jesus walked on the water to join them. And then the crowd that had been following Jesus were very uh, fascinated because they, they found that Jesus was at the other side. And so lots of people went in boats to join the disciples and Jesus, except at the top left, northwest of the Sea of Galilee. And so the crowd said, and I'm going to just go through a few verses when there's a bit of conversation. So I think it's quite a good background to the passage which we're going to read. And so they said, Rabbi, when did you get here? Can you see that? And the, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him the Father has placed his seal of approval. And the people asked him a very good question, and a rather silly question. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? So Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. In other words, to, to believe the one... He's, that was talking to them, Jesus. So they asked him, what miraculous sign will you give that we see it and believe you? This is to a man who just fed 5,000 people and just walked on the water because they couldn't <laughs> explain how he got across the lake. So I don't know why they asked that, but we know, I mean, I think in the back of their minds, they thought it was rather nice. Moses did this wonderful feeding the people in the desert for 40 years and they didn't have to go out and buy bread, you know. It's nice not to have to go and buy the bread. Would you do it for us? So our forefathers ate the manna in the desert, they said. Jesus didn't want to. So this is the background to our passage. Then Jesus said, it's my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. In other words, again, himself. And then they're very respectful. They say, sir, from now on, give us this bread. (laughs) So now we've covered the background. Now we're coming to the passage. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never grow hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. So what did he mean? Well, we know that he meant it spiritually, but we do, we all use the term bread, don't we? Uh, He's the one who gets the, you know, who goes out to earn the bread. We talk about a breadwinner, don't we? And we also say in our Lord's Prayer, give us our daily bread. So, Jesus, but that's for physical food, isn't it? Jesus was meaning that only he as the one can satisfy our spiritual needs permanently. And he also talked about thirst, didn't he? 
spiritual thirst. Jesus had already said in the chapter 4, if you remember, to the woman at the well, so a bit before, whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will, come, will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And Jesus in the next chapter, in chapter 7, was, would, was going to say, is going to say, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will come from within him, referring to the Holy Spirit that people would, would receive. And it said, as the scripture has said, so what scripture? So in Isaiah, it says, for I will, I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I'll pour out my spirit on your offspring. And as I also said, you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. See, there's very beautiful pictures, aren't they, of, of the kingdom of heaven and how it, the Holy Spirit can live in our lives. And Jesus made some very striking I am, we call them the I am statements, and they're all in John's Gospel, I think only in John's Gospel, but they are very striking, a lot of them very pictorial. He said, I am the light of the world. He said that in two different contexts. I am the door of the sheep, meaning the gate, meaning the gateway to heaven, really, where the, the sheep. I am the true vine, meaning if we say remain in him, he will remain in us. We can't bear fruit unless we remain in him. And he also made the very big statement, I tell you the truth, before Abram was, I am. The Jewish people didn't like that. But he was really saying that he is and was and has always been God. I'm going to go back to a little bit of conversation that they went on having. So Jesus said, your forefathers, still about the bread of life, your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here's the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. So he was trying to tell them that he was offering them eternal, eternal life. He said, I am the living bread that, come, that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. So he's making no secret that Jesus came from heaven. He looked like an ordinary man, but he was claiming and making no secret about it that he came from heaven. And he said, this bread is my flesh which I will give for the life of the world. Meaning that Jesus was going to die for them, <coughs> even though they didn't understand how. Can you hear me? Mm -hmm. And then one more, like that, in this conversation, he said, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Many times, four times in this chapter, he talked about raising people up at the last day. I'll come back to that. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh, drinks my blood, remains in me, and I in him. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Do you think Jesus wasn't talking about cannibalism? I'm not being funny. But, it, I mean, I'm not being funny. I'm not being funny if you like. But, uh... <laughs> We can have a good laugh, but I mean, I don't think he was, <laughs> because it wouldn't fit his character. But apart from that, supposing he actually really wanted people to eat his flesh, supposing he was offering that, I mean, I don't suppose more than 10 or 20 people would benefit. So it wouldn't, didn't sort of do an offer, wouldn't achieve, wouldn't achieve much, would it really? 
So I think we can assume that he didn't mean that, and that the other people also probably thought, agreed that he didn't mean that. And drinking his blood, well again, that's, that's, against, the, that's against the Jewish law, isn't it? John was talking about that. So that he couldn't have meant that either. So we've said, I seem to have said a lot. How does this all fit together? Well, things the Israelites went through the, what we call the Exodus didn't they? in the time of Moses, the, re- the rescue from Egypt. We can think of this as the first great rescue. They were protected by the blood of the Lamb, weren't they? They had the blood of the Lamb on their doorposts. And they were given the law, the first covenant, and they were given a wonderful promise. If you obey me fully and keep my. This is not in your slide, but it says in Exodus, Moses was tell, told to tell the people. If you obey me fully and keep my covenant, out of all the nations you'll be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. But the main problem is the Israelites were just like us. Anybody never done anything wrong? Anyone never parked on a yellow line? <laughs> you know. uh, so the Israelites were not able to keep the law. They sinned, the whole nation, and, but the sins got worse and worse. The nation became corrupt, and then they went to exile as a punishment <coughs> into, into Babylon. Of course God knew this all along, but he wanted to show, well I think he wanted to show that we can't do it on our own. And so the Lord said the solution that he was going to use and in the words of Jeremiah, I mean through the mouth of Jeremiah, the Lord said, the time is coming when I'll make a new, a new covenant, a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the previous covenant. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. It wouldn't have to be on tablets of stone, it wouldn't have to have priests and everything. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. The Lord, Heavenly Father, was going to make a, a plan that would work even though we remain sinful. So we're going to jump ahead now to the time of our Lord. So at the Last Supper, just before he died, Jesus was in their upper room, and of course he was with his disciples. They were mystified and puzzled. They didn't know what was happening. Jesus kept on talking about going to the Father and things. And he took bread and he gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. This is my body. I'm saying that because the Roman Catholic people have the tradition that it actually is the body of Jesus then of the bread that we take. But it can't really because Jesus would have said it, would have said it like this. This is my body. So it's, it, seems to, it seems natural that he was uh, saying do this well, he did say, do this in remembrance of me. It seems natural that he meant this would be in remembrance, but it wasn't literally his body. However, I don't think it matters terribly. I don't think we don't have wars with Catholics just because they have a different tradition. In the same way, he took the cup and said, this, new, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. When the disciples heard that new covenant, they might have thought about Jeremiah. They knew that something very special was going to happen. But I don't suppose they ever dreamed that it would be in Jesus' blood. So Jesus was going to protect us again by the blood of the Lamb, the Lamb of God, 
Remember that when John the Baptist first saw Jesus, the very first time he saw him, man, I mean man to man, they'd met as children, but met as babies, but when he saw man to man, uh, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, isn't that right? So it was, it's going to be in his own blood. So welcome to Christianity. Christianity is totally different. It was good to hear Vicky's testimony. But it was t- totally different from all other... It was good to hear all the testimonies. But I mean, it's totally different from all other religion, religions. Good to hear Naomi's testimony. It's totally different from the Jewish religion. Totally different from all other religions. Because the, all the religions basically say, keep the rules and you'll be all right. Or at least you might be all right. There's no assurance. And one of John's colleagues came from the college in New York and gave two very good sermons about, you know, about the, the world's great, I mean, so-called great religions, Islam and Buddhism and, and Jehovah's Witnesses and so on. And, but it's only the God of the Bible who recognizes that we can't do it on our own. We, we need help. We, all, we need to be rescued. We can't keep any rules. You know, if you watch a game of football, you know the rules of football? If you watch the players, do they keep the rules? <laughs> you know, so none of us can keep the rules. They're not any worse than we are. So it's time to go back to our text. It's high time. So, so Jesus said, he who comes to me, we've still got a big problem. We're just coming to it. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. But Jesus never... I was going to say it messes about. It doesn't sound respectful, does it? But he always gets straight to the point. He said, but as, as I told you, you've seen me, and you still you don't believe. So it's all very well, but you don't believe me. So Jesus knew who people were going to leave. Um, and people still don't believe, do they? Even if they're given every opportunity. Often until disaster strikes. You know, Norwich is one of the highest, in this last census, it was the highest proportion of people who, who claim to be atheists. But they're all very nice atheists, I must say, aren't they? <laughs> if, you, if you knock on people's doors, in the great majority of people, if, there's, if they're people over the age of 40, they will say, they won't throw you out, you know. They'll say, well, I've got my own beliefs. That's the very common thing that people say. I've got my own beliefs. You can't argue, of course, when you're in another person's house or property. But the tragedy is that, you know, we're arguing, you can't argue with God. We can't really speak back to God, can we? So God has told us how he wants to help us. It doesn't achieve much to say, we've got my own beliefs. So, but God has ways of helping us to believe in him, which I think are very important to think about. Often God creates difficulties in our lives, doesn't he? Sickness, prison, you know, being in a refugee camp, perhaps your jobs, perhaps you've lost your job, um, you know, uh, your, perhaps your business has gone bust. I can testify that I came to the Lord through an, through an illness. I was, I was 29, I was living in London, I was single. I was lost, really. I thought I was fine, but I was lost. <laughs> my identity was in my work, and but, you know that was about all, really. and um, and being funny and things, <laughs> but nothing serious, nothing. 
And, um, and my, I've been brought up as a churchgoer in Northern Ireland. There's a great deal of churchgoing. And my parents were, I believe, Christians, but we never, never discussed anything to do with the, church, the service or the Bible or, the, or what we, why we're here on earth. Um, it's not in, a, not in any spiritual way. And so it's not surprising that one is a bit confused sometimes. And I, anyway, and I used to go to church even after I left home, but then I gave up going to church and got more and more lost and became more, less and less moral and more and more immoral. And then I suddenly got an illness and I was, it was like a very bad flu. It was, I didn't know what was wrong really. Never been ill really. Uh, two weeks in bed, no, no, no change. So I had to go back, went back, struggled back home somehow to stay with my parents. Four months later, still not much improvement. I really had a thing like ME, ME, but people didn't know about that in those days. So I remember I'd been reading, I'd been reading a biography of Billy Graham, in fact. I don't, I don't, the Lord maybe put that on my heart. But I didn't really, I hadn't really got any clear faith. And I prayed somewhere around the time of my birthday, I prayed a prayer, something like this. Oh Lord, I really don't know whether you are there or not, but if you are there, Please hear, hear me, and please heal me, and get me better again, so I can go back to work. <laughs> so, but he, and he did. Nothing happened immediately, but I did go back to work you know, quite soon after, about six weeks after. Uh, but I knew that something had happened. And so I had a, it was a very exciting time in my life, and I went all over London, I went to try and... But the Lord put me in touch with people. Uh, there was another Christian doctor who saw my spiritual state and he introduced me to other people and he brought me to a, a Bible study which I'd never been to one and I heard people praying you know, but I'd never heard that, I'd never seen that and people praying for things, people praying for their, other members of their family and one of the, another member of their family was saved and everybody was rejoicing and I said this is amazing, <laughs> never seen anything like this so this is wonderful and so, so praise the Lord, but enough about me so anyway he healed me through sickness I mean he, I mean, he saved me we, you know the Gospel for Asia that the church supports? If you read their prayer letters, it's full of people coming to know the Lord through healing. So they've got, they've got a great ministry through healing people come to know the Lord. And of course, we've got turmoil in the Middle East. We have many refugees living in this country. Um, but really, it was the, it, we have to thank Osama bin Laden. He said to have brought more people to the Lord than anyone else you know, in the last century. Possibly mighty tongue, maybe any equal. But because um, the Middle East was like a fortress, you know, you couldn't penetrate Islam. But now uh, people are in great hardship. They're coming, living in refugee camps in Calais and the Mediterranean and in Greece and everything. And the Bible Society have got an unprecedented desire for people. I mean, they're finding unprecedented need for for people to have Bibles. So it's wonderful. So. Uh, so the Lord uses, I think, difficulties and allows them to happen to us. He allowed them to happen to the Israelites, of course, in the, in the Old Testament in the same way. He sent plagues, he sent snakes, and you, you know all these things. And even when we are Christians, he still sends difficulties, of course, to build us up. And Paul said, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships, persecutions and difficulties. It's, for, it's hard to say, I delight, but Paul said, I delight. For when I'm strong, i sorry, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. But of course it's only because we're weak when we have to trust in the Lord and then we, his strength is actually better because we never trust in the Lord unless we have to. 
So that's why the Lord allows us to have these difficult times. So let's get back to our text. So that was all about the Lord is, is not, not stupid like we are, and so he knows how to get us to believe. The Lord knows how to get us to believe. So the, verse 37 says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And this is actually quite a difficult thing to grasp. Uh, Jesus also said in, later in the, in the same chapter, he said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. This brings us to the doctrine, if you like, of election, that we are chosen. We were actually, by nature, we're all objects of wrath. We all deserve nothing but hell, but we've been saved by grace. And Paul writes about that a lot in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. And there's a doctrine called, I mean, all part of it is predestination. We were chosen. Paul writes that um, those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might become the firstborn of many brothers. In other words, that Jesus really wants us to be his brothers and sisters. So he called, those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he also justified. So we've, if you're here, and well, you are here, you're here to, if you're here seeking the Lord, uh, you're, see, it's really because he sought you in the first place. So he, he called, he predestined us, he, he called us, and now he's justifying us and saving us. In Romans 9, Paul writes about the story of when Esau and Jacob were in the womb, in, in Rebekah's womb, and, and he, the Lord spoke to Rebekah even then, so before the babies had done anything at all, either good or bad, he was told, or she was told, the older one will serve the younger. So Jacob would kind of be the leader. And that's happened, of course. And then, if you read the book of Acts, in Acts 13, it's very interesting, Paul and Barnabas are preaching in Antioch and they have many converts. And, and Luke, who's writing it, describes all those appointed for eternal life. Um, something. Came to the Lord. And they believed. All those appointed to eternal life believed. And Paul writes to the Thessalonians and, and a couple of times he says, uh, chosen, you're chosen by God. And Peter, in his, in his letter, first letter, he said, um, Paul, an apostle, to the, to the elect, the elect. Now somebody might say, but God's being unfair. I mean, what about all the other people? Why, don't, why not, can't they all be saved? And we have to remember that we we're all objects of wrath. We, none of us deserve anything but hell. But God does want, want all of us to be saved anyway. If we look at, at, when Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, that the Lord wants everybody to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And, and the same Peter, in fact, said that Paul, uh, sorry, that God is not slow in keeping his promise, but wants every, he's patient, wants everyone to be saved and, uh, and come to repentance. So it's the same Peter who wrote one Peter, writing to the elect, as wrote two Peter, said God wants everybody to be, to be saved. So I think we can... Well, I personally believe we can't fully understand it. We're, God chooses people, and yet he wants everybody to be saved. As the heavens are higher than the earth, in other words, much, much higher. So are his ways higher than our ways, and his thoughts higher than our thoughts. But the good news is we don't have to get all tied up in all this philosophy. I think you're all looking a bit tied up. Um, 
Because he also said, whoever comes to me, Jesus said, I will never drive away. And that's the, that's the good news. You know, I think Jesus turns no one away. We often worry. We hear, we know the gospel is about grace. Grace is about unmerited favour. God has given us what we don't deserve. God has given us good things that we don't deserve. But we might still feel that we're not good enough. We're not sincere enough. We haven't repented enough. We haven't done enough. So maybe, you know, are we really saved? And I think it's great to think about the thief on the cross. You know, there were two, you know, Jesus was crucified between two thieves. And one, believed, one was mocking Jesus. And the other one was said, Lord, one believed and said, Lord, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. <laughs> and Jesus' reply was very, very moving. He said, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. But the thing was, there was nothing that man could do. I'm not being funny. I mean, he was like this. It was terrible. He was in pain. But he probably wanted to, because he came to believe, he probably wanted to give all the money he had to the poor. He probably wanted to go and tell other people about Jesus and how Jesus is the truth. But he couldn't do anything because he was stuck until death. But he did, he, there was one thing he could do, and that was to trust so he did the only thing that he could do and that was enough wasn't it because Jesus told him Jesus told him today you were with me in paradise so let's finally go back to our text so why did Jesus come so Jesus said I've come from heaven not to do my will but the will of him who sent me and there's other verses saying the same thing and what is that will this is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose None of all that he's given me. Jesus talked in other places like he, nobody would snatch people from his hand. And Jude writes in his letter that Jesus is the one who can keep us from falling. He's the only one who can keep us from falling. But he, Jesus is going to raise us up at the last day. And again, he's the true vine, isn't he? If we remain in him, he'll remain in us. For my Father's will, Jesus said, this is the last verse, is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day. <clears throat> so Jesus is the Saviour but he's also the judge, isn't he? That's why people in Norwich can't just say I've got my own beliefs because Jesus is the judge. If he'll decide whether we're guilty or whether we're innocent. Because we're all guilty but he has rescued those who trust in him. And Paul, in his writings, often said, often was conscious of the judgment, judgment day. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And it will be a very scary day. You know the story of Lazarus? Um, you know the story of Lazarus? And uh, when he was uh, raised from the dead, and he'd been dead for four, four days. And the Lord called in a loud voice, didn't he? Lazarus, come out! And the dead man came out, you know, with all the covered in clothes and, um, I mean, burial clothes and, and things, and he came out. And there will, there will be a day when like, the sheep and the goats, and the, it will be very frightening. It will be very, and the, all the nations of the earth will mourn, won't they? And the, it won't be good to be an unbeliever on that day. Martin Luther said, there are only two days that count. Today, 
and that day. So it will be a very frightening day, but the good news is, of course, that everyone who believes in Jesus will be saved. He will raise us up at the last day. There will be people who had died 6,000 years ago. They will, they will be there. And everybody will be raised up at the last day, either to go to heaven or to go to hell. And so, some people unfortunately find it very hard to accept all this. People find it, it seems the Christian faith sometimes, to, people say it's too simple or too naive, like a fairy tale. I've got a man I used to know in Northern Ireland, who was a lovely man, he was very kind to me when I was a, in my 20s, he used to take me sailing and things. And, but he, he didn't believe. And when I, went, when I became a Christian, I went, I went back to see him, he was quite ill and not long to go. And he said, it's all a fairy tale, Craig. It's all a fairy tale. But I didn't know what to say at the time. But we look back at, at the eternal plan from the, in the Old Testament, even at the time of Abel, you know, one of the first human beings. He offered, the, he offered a lamb, didn't he, for to Jesus. And then the blood of the lamb on the time of the Exodus. And the blood of the lamb still is still shed for us, isn't it? Jesus' blood is shed for us. So this passage and the communion that we're going to have all fits together. I don't think anybody it can't be fiction, can it? It's, it's much too meaningful. And it hits it touches every human heart, doesn't it? So are we ready? Jesus is our judge. He knows everything. Everything that he said has come true. Everything that can be tested if you if you like. He said he was going to die on a cross. And he, he did. He said he was going to be, he's going to be, he would rise up after three days, and he did. So we know that those things, which are very extraordinary predictions, came true. So he also said that, we would, that he would take the punishment for, we, for our sins, that we can be forgiven if we trust in him. That there is a heaven, that there is a hell, that the hell is very, very real. So if you're already a believer today, let's make a vow to trust him more and, and be more thankful than ever for him as we wait for that day of judgment day. If you don't know Jesus, think about it. Make a plan to trust him today. He's our judge. Without him we, we can't go anywhere else except go to hell, be punishment for, the, for our sins. But we you don't have to. We can pray if you don't believe, if you don't know Jesus, you can pray, even now you can pray, wherever you are, you can say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I've done things wrong in my life, but I know that you are the only one who can forgive sins, so I would please forgive my sins and take me to be in heaven, to be, to be, take me to be with you. Thank you for taking the punishment that I deserve. Thank you for the offer of eternal life. We can ask anybody else here to pray with you. Because we don't know what the future holds. Perhaps there's going to be a nuclear war between America and Iran or America and Russia. Perhaps there's coronavirus that's going to wipe us all out. So we, we don't know. Maybe we're all going to live for 100 years. Maybe we're only going to live for 100 days. So don't put it off. The one who trusts in him will never be disappointed. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this message from your word. We pray that you would help all of us to trust in you, trust in you more, 
day by day and feed on you, on your feed on your body, feed on your on your Holy Spirit, and live through you, and help us to be uh, to live for you as well, Lord. And pray that if there's anybody here who doesn't know you, they would come to know you this day. I pray, and not put it off. We ask it in your name. Amen. So now that's, I was going to say that's the end of that part. Well, now we're going to have communion. And um, so we're going to put into practice what the Lord said the night that he was betrayed. He took bread, and after he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. He asked us to do this in remembrance of him. And it's good for us to remember. And, and remember also that he said this before he ever went to the cross. Just as, just as the Israelites were asked to remember the Passover before it ever happened. So the Lord, we worship a Lord who knows exactly the future, doesn't he? If you, if you don't know Jesus, I pray that you will, but... Uh, we, we probably shouldn't take communion because we're asked not to take it if it doesn't mean anything to us. And if we do know Jesus, we shouldn't take it in an unworthy way. We should, we should examine ourselves. If, if we're having a big argument with somebody, we should resolve to put the argument right. Whatever it is, we've all sinned. We just have to ask ourselves. We just, the Lord will tell you what to do. But we are asked, St. Paul mentions in his letter, uh, we need to examine ourselves, and that is important. He says, if you don't, uh, some people in Corinth had fallen sick and even died. So it is, it's very important to examine yourself and say, is there anything you want me to correct, Lord? And make a vow to do that. <clears throat> so the bread is unleavened bread, and the drink is grape juice. So please start to come up and take the bread and the wine. And then I think that I think the, the worship team are very kind again to sing to us as well. Thank you.